0: Hello and welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Maurice Steele.
1: I'm Joey Boudreaux.
0: I'm Sally Gentry. I'm you so much for listening guys coming up on this podcast
1: aviation and transplantation how one organization is addressing the challenges
0: and today we're going to talk about living with grief and how to help others grieve that and a whole lot more again you are part of our team our goal is to make life happen Uh, one of our asks of you is that you help share this podcast we try to make it as easy as possible for you to find and share
1: that's right. You can find us when you do rate and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast that might be. And don't forget, we're on thegiftedlife.org. And
0: while we're on the subject, hey, if you're on social media, Facebook, we're the Gifted Life Podcast, Twitter and Instagram, at Gifted Life Pod. Lots of fun information behind the scenes, things that you can find on those sites. So we certainly appreciate you. Obviously, we have lots to get to. Everybody ready? Yep. Ready. Here we go. The Gifted Life Podcast crew is proud to welcome Steve Johnson, Chief Operating Officer for the Indiana Donor Network, to the podcast. Hey, Steve.
2: Good morning. How are you?
0: Great, great. We were just here and we're sitting in awe because we're learning that the Indiana Donor Network started an aviation program from scratch in order to save more lives. So our jaws are dropping and we want to know all about this. And how did you even start in this program, in this process?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, actually, my background is both as a pilot as well as a clinician. And I spent um, many, many years in in critical care transport, which to most would be, you know, your medevac helicopters. So um, I uh, both uh, flew as a crew member, but ran um, several programs throughout the United States doing um, that kind of work. Uh, I actually was in Indianapolis doing that uh, specific work uh, for one of our major transplant centers. And they actually asked me to uh, come over and take a look at the OPO uh, because of the uh, transport needs that uh, they had as a transplant center and as an OPO. And that's kind of how I got involved. And I came over here and looked at it and I said, wow, you guys, um, you know, this is a really important part of your business and not just important, critical to your mission. And, um, you know, I I was able to kind of give them some of my ideas of how I thought that we could put something together that would positively impact donation and transplantation. That's the way it was born.
0: So let's talk about logistics. So you have yeah. your own jets, planes, like how does this work?
2: We actually, we actually now have four jets. Wow. Okay. Um, so we have four Cessna Citation CJ3s. Uh, we just actually took deliver of two brand new jets. Um, yeah, just uh, December 24th, I think, is when we actually got them on Christmas Eve. So had a nice Christmas present. But um, we standardize our aircraft. They're uh, light uh, jets. So, you know, they are able to travel quickly, which is important. They're also very efficient from a fuel standpoint and an expense standpoint. They have a lot of advanced technology for safety purposes, and they're really a good platform for all-weather operations, and they can go really long distances. We've flown uh, life-saving organs uh, back to Indiana from as far as California.
1: Wow. So, Steve, uh, you know, so I was fortunate enough to meet Steve a few years back uh, at one of the conferences as, uh, as the CEO there. So take us from Steve, you know, working in aviation, to Steve, now COO of Indiana, how this transpire?
2: Well, <laughs> if you had asked me five years ago, or if you had told me five years ago that I would be, um, you know, the CEO of a uh, organ procurement organization, I would have uh, looked at you and said, "What's that?" Uh-huh. Uh, so. Uh, You know, when I came over here for the first time and I started consulting with them and helping them kind of, you know, look at what they could do from an aviation standpoint, I think a lot of us probably had this story. Um, I know Lori, uh, reading about her background, it sounded like she kind of had the same uh, aha moment, you know, spending my entire life uh, doing critical care transport. I thought that that was a pretty neat life-saving mission. It didn't take long uh, coming over here to the OPO for me to just say, "Wow, what a what an amazing thing that these people do every day, and what an amazing thing that I could be a part of." And um, yeah, I'm not just saying that; it was it literally was one of those things that um, I just loved the mission. The people were amazing, um, and it was something that you know every time, specifically aviation-wise, every time we hit the start button on that aircraft we're going to be saving someone's life. Mm. That wasn't the case with every helicopter to transport. And don't get me wrong. That's fantastic work and very necessary life-saving work at times. But a lot of times you're moving people from point A to point B. There's a lot of satisfaction in knowing that every time we roll that airplane out, we're, you know, fulfilling that promise and saving somebody's life. So I mean, Joey, it, was, it just feels good. Yeah. So
3: you actually have seen in working with families and potential recipients, you can see then that it can be a benefit to both sides.
2: Oh, certainly. And, you know, from the aspect of, of making sure that, you know, we're not pushing back, you know, OR times and, and putting um, some of these stressors on families to really just, again, I think uh, I don't take this lightly. It is truly fulfilling the promise for both sides of this—the um, donor families, um, as well as those people waiting on that life-saving transplant. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that it is um, impactful for both.
1: So back to uh, your story of you know you meeting with Indiana Donor Network, uh, the folks there. So at what point did you guys, and then of course becoming COO. At what point did you guys see that, you know, that this was just from going from a challenge uh, that needs to be overcome to the fact that, okay, now you guys have such a big fleet. And from that, uh, what have you seen as the biggest areas of uh, basically biggest takeaways, positives and things besides those that you had mentioned, you know, with the donor families and recipients?
2: when When a lot of transplant centers and, and, and OPOs look at uh, aviation, um, I think they look at it as uh, uh, one piece of the puzzle. And even more so, um, I don't want to minimize this, but it, it, it almost is like calling a taxi. You know this is just uh, and, and that's the way that it has been looked at in the past. And so we wanted to take a fresh look at it and say, look, we are we are one hundred percent dependent on transportation logistics are so important Um, and we can provide safety and value at a level that doesn't exist today and so I think the first realization for Indiana donor network was when I came in and did a safety audit of the operator that they were currently using Um, and we found a lot of areas that needed uh, significant improvement and we're putting our teams and our our transplant teams and our opo teams on these aircraft and they have 100% trust that there's been the due diligence done behind these Um, and that's not always you know that's not always what we found and we knew that we could do that better and then we hear stories of you know our coordinators and our teams working so hard and making so many phone calls trying to solve these logistical problems even just flying finding an aircraft to come do this work was um, just really a burden. And so we saw opportunity there. Then we started looking, of course, at the you know, cost component, um, you know, is this some way that we would be able to provide more value to our healthcare system and, and to everyone involved in it? And that was a clear picture that said yes. And so all these things were pointing at the direction that you know, we are huge consumers of aviation for a very important reason. Um, we have the ability and expertise to do it better um, and if we can prove that, then we might be able to serve others and um, be able to accomplish it for them as well. And so those were kind of all the pieces that started coming together. And I think with any project, you look at it and you say, okay, you know, what is the benefit and, and what are the risks? And frankly, we just had this really, really long benefit list and the, the risk list was empty. And this is something that we do, and it was something that uh, we knew could be, um, you know, impactful.
1: And so this is years ago. And, you know, of course, you guys didn't, or maybe you did. I didn't see it coming years ago. All the upcoming allocation changes with each and every organ at this point. Right now, uh, liver has been front and center for the last year and a half. But, you know, for for those of you out there, you know, there has been a bigger push to have broader sharing for all the organs uh, so that, you know, the the sickest person on the the list, even though that person is two or three states away, still has that option of, you know, that organ that's available at that point. Steve and I have been in many meetings throughout the past uh, couple years together in these conversations, and, and now we're finding out That flights will increase, you know, and and because of this, obviously, that's one of the, you know, negative consequences that has to take place when you're broader sharing, of course, you'll be traveling more. And we're understanding that uh, there's going to be a significant uptick in in air travel. So uh, so you guys were definitely at the kind of forefront of being able to prepare for this while we were all sitting behind waiting
2: Joey I would love to sit here and in, in fact you know what I will just for the fun of it I'll just say yeah I anticipated all of this I saw all of this coming you know five years ago I was sitting here with my magic eight ball and I was like know, our allocation rule is going to change with broader sharing and it was sources like yes, say yes I believe so <laughs> yeah sources say yes no it wasn't that you know we five years ago when we did this we were doing it to solve a problem that we had at the moment and we knew that this was something that you know we thought we could could do well um, and certainly, um, to your point, Joey, I think that with broader sharing, we certainly are going to see a much more significant demand in certain areas upon um, air transportation. Um, but, I mean, even some of the, it's kind of a perfect storm. And, and it's something that I'm really concerned about. I know not a lot of other leaders in the OPO or world are concerned about it's not just that it's the commercial aviation, um, environments changed drastically over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, what we did anticipate and we saw coming that we were going to, at some point, um, have a pilot shortage. Um, I don't know uh, if you guys, uh, have have heard about this, but there's a very significant pilot shortage throughout the United States, you know, post nine 11, um, our aviation industry, commercial aviation industry was hit very hard. Um, And we saw a lot of flight schools go out of business. Uh, We saw the uh, ability for people with a pilot's uh, license and people that were qualified pilots. It was very hard for them to get jobs because there just weren't that many out there. And so it wasn't attractive for people to come into uh, the business of being a pilot. Um, Our military has stopped uh, training as many pilots, whether it be drones or or financial cutbacks. Mm Um, You know, our number of pilots coming out of the military is the lowest ever. Mm. Uh, And so all of these things kind of created this perfect environment where all of a sudden we're in this boom. You know, the airlines are growing faster than they ever have. Boeing is reporting that they are building more airplanes than they ever have. Um, Our airlines are literally trying to start up. Uh, pilot training programs so that they can supply themselves with pilots because there isn't anyone out there.
3: So what do you think think is the rationale behind all that? I mean, what's happened that people are not wanting to become pilots?
2: A couple of things is that what was going on for a long time is it was hard. You really had to pay your dues. Okay. Um, and, And so... Um, yeah, Sally, it was not fun to be a young pilot with no hours. I mean, you really had to do some, you know, terrible jobs to Ah, build your hours so that you would be qualified to go fly. And how many hours,
3: how many hours does that take then to do that?
2: Oh, shoot. In order, in today's world is different than it was back then, but you you know, in in order for you to be (laughs) back in the day, in order for you to be considered for an airline job, you, Probably would be you know for a first officer three to four thousand hours of flight wow, time. Wow! So
3: you're talking about a couple years then, at least. Oh, at
2: least, and, and you're, a financial and, and investment. I'm sure. When I say you're doing I'm odd sure. jobs, you're doing things like I mean, you're, you're ferrying airplanes, you're flying, um, you know, you're flying parachute people. You're doing whatever you possibly can, um, and and living off ramen wow. uh, yeah. to, to do yeah, that. I remember. So. Now we're facing this perfect storm where, where you know, um, and we need to remember that that transplant happens at 2 a.m., not mm-hmm. 2 p.m. Right. And, and, and so, you know, it, it takes a special group of, of pilots and a special, uh, you know, personality to want to go out there and do this kind of work. And a lot of these uh, charter operators are just not staffed and they uh, to do the kind of work that we do at the times that we do it. So it's it's really interesting to uh, to watch that, and it, it is interesting. It's not the right word, guys. It really is something that we're concerned right. and um, trying to help solve for. Because I think with the allocation rule changes as well as the pilot shortage, we're going to um, we're going to have some real challenges trying to deal with these logistics.
1: So, Steve, of course, you know in the OPO world, we're always trying to look to. Uh, be more financially responsible with every aspect of the donation process. And you had mentioned earlier that, you know, you looked into this and one of the aspects that you really liked was it made financial sense. How are you able to make it more cost effective than the rest?
2: It paints a really clear picture uh, or it painted a really clear picture. When we evaluated this, we're always looking as to how we can be good partners with our transplant centers um, and provide value uh in the aviation world these uh transportation is a significant expense and looking at it seeing that we would be able to set up as a non-for-profit and competent um, providers of air transportation we knew we would be able to um, provide this service at a much lesser expense than what you would be paying you know these on-demand charter operators and and no takeaway from them. That's you know their job is to you know um, you know to make a profit. Um, our job is to save lives through the facilitation of donation and transplantation. Um, so our mission is the same, but very different. And um, it has uh, been a huge financial benefit for our transplant centers as well as our surrounding transplant centers that uh, utilize the service.
1: So the 501c3 gives you guys an advantage. How?
2: Well, two things. One, uh, we don't have a owner or a board of directors oh, that is looking yeah. for a financial return. As a mm-hmm. non-for-profit, we are going to, um, you know, those dollars are going to go back to these entities that, uh, that that use us. So, that in itself takes away that right. you know twenty to thirty percent margin that right. operators are going to be looking for to make in a profit uh, arena. Um, also, just being a non-for-profit, you know, we are not taxed um, the same way that um, other people would um, for just their operations. So all of those savings that we see are going to, um, again, uh, go back to our, our, our transplant centers and, and others that use us.
1: With the uptick of 20, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, 50% flying livers right now to about 74%. Of the livers that are recovered for a transplant will be flown to the recipient. So, yeah. so you know, he talked about the perfect storm of, you know, the, now you've got a lot more need for the for the commercial, a lot less charter. It's at two o'clock in the morning. Right. It's not very attractive. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting on pins and needles, quite honestly, Steve, you know, t- to see, you know, what's actually going to happen with us.
2: It, it, it's it's um, and that's the thing is we've all modeled this to the best of our abilities. But right. as we know, um, there are so many variables and, you know, the geography and demographics and everything that go into, um, you know, our, our transplant system. Uh, you know, we can't anticipate all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it, it is. Uh, I, You know, we as TXJet, we're trying to do everything we can to educate and to help any program, um, you know, whether it just be improve their safety or work with them on trying to create their own aviation program or placing, um, even placing aircraft and pilots for them strategically. Um, we're doing whatever we can to help, so Um, That's a big part of what we feel like our role can be, um, is to be that trusted resource in the OPO community to kind of help navigate this to the best of our ability.
0: So what we've been talking about is uh, this aviation program in order to save more lives, txjet.org if you want more information. But we were looking through these stats, which are are pretty impressive, and the pros of having this program. So decreasing time to transplant, decreasing the expense associated with transport, and providing 24-7 dependable um, travel, uh, but the stats, guys. Since 2014, they have flown more than 2,000 organs just in 2018. 495 life-saving flights, and then this one was a jaw dropper when Absolutely. we were looking. Well, between
3: 2014 and 2018, you've made the equivalent of four trips to the moon, mileage-wise.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we thought that that was a fun statistic yes. To, yes, uh, it is. To, to throw out there. <laughs> Yeah. Our, our guys get a big kick out of that. And, and, um, you know, the, the, you know, what's amazing is, is, you know, how it, the OPO and transplant community captivated me, it captivates our pilots. Our guys constantly talk to me. I mean, they're part of our OPO. They're part of our program. They're not just people that hang out at the airport. Right. They're with us all the time. They're at all of our, our meetings, our events. They're here at the office, you know, the, um, the pilots have become such a part of who we are and what we do, and, and that's kind of a neat thing to see develop. But they see it the same way we do. They're so passionate about it. And do I do think you that's fly? a really huge. I do. Okay. I do. All right. um,
0: <laughs> well, you wear so many hats. We uh, weren't sure, Steve.
2: So I, I, I you know, I, I certainly, they allow me in the airplane every once in a while. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. The fun stuff. Um, But, you know, what's neat is is that these pilots, when they talk about it, they just love what they do. They love going home and telling their families that they're not just transporting people in the back of an airplane. That They're transporting, you know, something that is going to change people's lives. And they love that about it. And they're passionate to hear them talk about the fact that they are proud that, you know, they can provide that comfort for the teams and our transplant surgeons and others that are in that aircraft. They're like, you know, that 30 minutes, 45 minutes that they're in the back of our aircraft might be the only quiet 45 minutes that they get for the next 14 hours. Mm -hmm. And they understand that.
3: So how do you recruit these people?
2: You know what? They recruit themselves. Really? They do. Um, wow. And and for all those pilots listening, they'll love this comment. Pilots are like fourteen-year-old girls with cell phones. <laughs> they talk a lot.
1: <laughs> talk a lot.
2: And I have a teenage daughter, so I can say that. Um, <laughs> If you are doing something and you're doing it well in the aviation world um, They communicate they know who's Uh doing good work and what that work is and you know Are they flying good equipment? Are they getting good Uh training is or are their operations? Fantastic pilots just like anybody else. They want to be proud of what they do who they do it with Um, They want to be proud of their job. They want to be proud of it and so You know, our team is is pretty much self-recruits them, you know, each other. That's
0: Are you guys the only OPO doing this at this point? Do you know? Have you checked?
2: So we are not. There are a couple. uh, So we are the only ones with the model that operates the way that we do. Mm -hmm. If you get down into the the details, we are the only OPO. We're certainly the only OPO with four aircraft. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are a couple other OPOs that uh, either own or dedicate lease an aircraft. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we are the only OPO that actually we, we employ our own pilots. So we own our fleet, we operate our fleet, we have our own pilots. So we, we really are the full spectrum of an aviation operation.
0: Yeah, I'd say. And we
2: set it up as its own independent 501C3 with its own governing board as well.
0: Nice. And so what's to come, Steve? I mean, you've come this far. Where are we going?
2: You know, I, I think that uh, probably something that you guys have a lot of conversations about is um, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're doing it. <laughs> I was like, uh, "What's he gonna
0: say?" Oh, okay, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you.
2: we're we're looking and we're saying, you know, we are living in amazing times in the donation and transplantation world. Um, you know, things don't necessarily change in uh, the transplant community at the uh, speed of light, and they are now, and it is really going to. Um, I mean, we all know that we're going to see, uh, we're going to have to be agile and we're going to have to be ready to adjust. And that's, I think what we're preparing for is to make sure that we can be as agile as possible. The other thing we're trying to prepare for the best we possibly can is to have as many resources available to absorb the need that's going to be out there. Mm -hmm. We never want to hear that there was an organ that wasn't transplanted because aviation was not available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just something that's unacceptable, and we want to make sure that we do the best that we can to make sure that doesn't happen.
0: Amazing. All right, Steve Johnson, Chief Operating Officer for the Indiana Donor Network. If you want to know more about what we were talking about, if you were as fascinated as uh, we continue to be, txjet.org. That's txjet.org. There's a video on there. There's stats, uh, which are staggering. Um, Just an amazing job, Steve. We appreciate you.
2: Lori, Joey, Sally, thank you guys so much for having me.
0: At this point in the Gifted Life podcast, we are going to be talking about grieving in everyday life. Who better suited to talk about that, Joey? Than who?
1: Than our favorite, very own Sally. <laughs>
0: How She's nice. your favorite. Wait let's let's go back.
1: <laughs> what? Our favorite, very own okay. Sally.
0: <laughs> He's sticking with that line.
1: Yes, Sal. She
0: is, I, and I'm very pleased to hear that.
1: <laughs> She's our favorite.
3: <laughs> well, you know, uh, Joey and Lori, that coping with death is vital to our mental health, because um, you know everything that that we think about it affects us physically, and a lot of times, of course, our physical health is affecting us mentally. But but to go on to this right here, it's you know it's only natural that you're going to experience grief with the, the loss of. of a loved one, Mm -hmm. or it could also be with the loss of a pet or loss of a job or loss of a significant other. I mean, there are many deaths that happen throughout our lifetime, and it may not necessarily be that natural death of an individual or sudden death of an individual. And so the best thing for people to do is, unfortunately, time is the only healer, um, and you just can't rush through it. I, I know we've all talked with folks that say, "Well, um, you know, if we could just hurry up and get this over with, mm-hmm. or if you just move on, mm-hmm. you'd be all a whole right. lot better off." Or
0: once you get through all the firsts, uh, yes, yes. Yeah.
3: yes, and and, and, and uh, regrettably, that just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. That's just not how our life is is destined to be. But you know, it's important you seek out caring people. You don't you don't want to surround yourself with basically negative people that don't want to have to talk about it or don't want to have to talk with you about it because they think they're exposing their own selves Mm -hmm. and they're not thinking about you as that person that that really needs this sort of caring assistance. Um, But you can express your feelings. You can tell the people, look, this is how I'm feeling. I just can't deal with this Mm -hmm. today. And to be honest with yourself when you are talking with others. Take care of your health. You know, try to at least at least try to eat something halfway decent, healthy right, for right. you. Because, you know, when you're in the depths of depression, which comes with that grief most of the time, mm-hmm. you don't really care what you're eating or drinking or anything mm-hmm. else. It, Maybe if it makes you feel better, you do it. Um, But you might find that, you know, you're much better off if you can't eat something that's a little bit more healthy for you. Except that life is uh, for the living. I mean, people will go on. Lives go on. Um, We would like to believe that when each of us dies, the world will stop. But but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So we have to come to those terms at a fairly, I think, young age, whatever that might be, Mm -hmm. young, okay?
1: We're all the same age. That's it. That's it.
3: Yeah, and then you know, postpone major life changes. Don't automatically say, "Well, all right, that's it. We're moving." Uh, my husband died. I'm I'm going to sell the house and move to uh, I yeah. don't know Colorado or mm. something like that. You know, I think it's um, and also talking about having another child. Many times mm. people say, "You know, I've just lost a child," and I will hear them say, "Well, maybe if we have another child, it will help things," but that doesn't change that that grief for that child mm. that you have just lost. So. You know, be patient with yourself because it can take months. It may take years, Mm. um, but keep moving forward. Don't Mm. don't stay right there in that grief cavity, if you Mm. will, of your life, because then you can never live your life to the fullest or help your other children or Mm. help your spouses. Where have you been on
0: my life, girl? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> 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 I lost my
0: mom when I was young, but I had this pattern. Nothing could be changed in the hat. Like if anything mm-hmm. were to be changed, then that would really upset me. So I have trouble yeah. with change. Mm-hmm. And I was stuck for go. a long yeah. time until my brother was like, come on. Wake it's time to. The positive yeah. person coming in. But yep. didn't understand it back then. Yeah. Well, that's right.
3: Because when it happens to you, and that can be whoever you might be out there, it's always about you. It's it, mm-hmm. You don't even think that it's about someone else mm. that may have experienced something similar to it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, that once you realize, oh, my gosh, I could have been talking to Kirsten or Troy or Joey or, or, or to you about this because they do know what I'm talking about. I think there's a great sense of relief that people can seek out others that, that don't judge mm-hmm. or, or, or make you know hurry-up statements to them where they can just really share what's going on. And and you know, if worse comes to worse, you know, seek outside help. And mm-hmm. I and I don't mean that in a negative connotation. I'm just saying if you don't think there's anyone there that you can really share your thoughts and feelings with, mm-hmm. honestly, seek out
1: a counselor, you know? So if I was Laurie's friend at the time and her support, what would what would be the best way for me to be her friend and support her? Do do I keep do I talk about her mom or, or do I stay away from those subjects? What are the best things to say and not you know, to say? I,
3: I think the best thing to do is, it, you know, it sounds like your mother means so much to you. And I know this is a tremendous loss. What can I do to help? Can I can I go to the grocery store for you? Can, can I watch the kids? You know, do you want me to take your car in to get it serviced? Mm-hmm. I mean, things that we just don't normally think about doing. And if she doesn't want to talk about her mom, well, then you just don't talk about her mom. And, and you don't say, oh, well, you know, I think I know exactly how you feel because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've had the death in my family. And, well, that doesn't help any of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to be helpful, be helpful. B- but don't just say it and then go on with, right. the, you know, well, hey, right. it is all about me and it's not about you. Right. One so, well, for you know. me
0: is that first big holiday, I think it was Christmas, and then everybody checked on you leading up to Christmas, mm-hmm. and then I felt like everybody just... Stopped like they had mm-hmm. to go on with their lives, and I was just there in a dark house with no change, yeah, for yeah. a long time. And and but now I get it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I get it, like they're ready to move on, and I just needed a little more time. And somebody well, really drag me,
3: well, that's <laughs> right. And, and I think the thing too is that that uh, I don't know too many people who want to talk about death, right? And so, that's a subject that that even though we all know that it's all going to happen for each and every one of us. We just don't want to talk about it. And I think that's where we kind of get into a a, a bad situation with folks because after a few months, it's like, oh, no, if I run into her again, oh, my, Mm -hmm. she's going to want to talk about whoever this loved one might Mm -hmm. be that's deceased. So
1: So I, on the other hand, of course, working with Lopa and, and, uh, you know, seeing it every day, I'm more comfortable than most, I guess, in my opinion, talking about death. But at the same time, I feel I'm fearful of when I bring things up to those that are close to me that have lost you know loved ones i'm always afraid of saying the wrong things i'm always afraid of you know well i don't want to tell him you know ask him how the kids are doing after he lost his his wife mm-hmm. and because then it, it brings back the memories and I'm, I'm i just don't know in those situations do i talk about that and, and keep bringing her memory up or do i just stay and shy away from it and talk about everything else
0: i love hearing about my loved ones like, I love those memories and things that may have forgotten, and it brings back other good memories. Some
3: sad,
1: mm-hmm. too,
0: but to mm-hmm. me, it's healing. Well, and I think
3: so, too. I, there's very few people who do not want to speak about their child or, or their husband or wife or parents, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that just the the kind thing to do is just say, I've been thinking about you. How have you been doing? How are the kids? And then if this person wants to carry on the conversation, then they can mm-hmm. or they can just say, well, everything's OK. Thanks for asking. And then you just go on with your everyday conversation. You know, you kind of leave it up to that particular individual.
0: How, how far do they want to take mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Um, you have a topic you want Sally to tackle. Info at the dot org.
1: And in every episode of The Gift of Life, we like to honor a hero. Today's hero is Jeremy Gary.
0: Jeremy Gary, 29 years old, was headed home from a work day in March 2007. Tragically, a car crash claimed Jeremy's life. We learn about Jeremy from his family. Jeremy was a loving son, husband, and brother of six siblings. He had been married to his sweet wife for only five months. In remembering Jeremy, he allowed his faith in God to guide him exhibited exuberance in displaying his love for family and friends, shared his infectious smile with everyone, reached out to help others with ceaseless compassion, showed his devoted loyalty as a friend, lighted the room he entered with his humor, was an avid LSU fan and is now tailgating in the sky, and was an organ donor of four organs, his last gift to mankind.
3: And now we pause to say thank you to Jeremy for the gift of life.
0: In our question and answer segment today, how do organs typically get to their recipients? Joey?
1: Well, of course, we heard from Steve, and quite often uh, charter flights such as theirs are are, uh, one of the primary means of transportation. Uh, It kind of depends on the organs. Uh, Hearts and lungs typically travel with the transplant surgeon. However, the transplant surgeon gets to the hospital from hospital to hospital, Uh, the organs, uh, you know, in those situations travel with them. Oftentimes, uh, those are charter airplanes as well. Uh, Livers oftentimes are flown by charter because there's really only, we're talking four to six hours Mm -hmm. uh, between blood flow and blood flow. Uh, Kidneys are a little bit different. Kidneys can travel mostly, you know, ground sometimes if it's, you know, a few hours away. Uh, Sometimes we even fly kidneys through commercial airlines. The the airline companies work closely with us. They take very good care. Actually, the kidneys sit there with the pilots. So it varies, obviously, from organ to organ, and then even by region to region, because in some regions, especially the East Coast, where the the population is, is so much denser and the transplant centers to donor hospitals are so much closer, there's quite a bit of helicopter travel there you know it's not so much in the midwest and and uh south and the west but certainly again all different ways for the most part
3: if you have a question or a story that you would like to share with us, um, please let us know. We'd like to hear from you. You could email us at thegiftedlife.org or you could even give us a call. And you know that number's 504 648 3477. We'd like to hear from you. You know, your story could inspire others to also give the gift of life. <laughs>
0: but that'll do it for episode 106 of The Gifted Life.
1: Yeah, we want to give a special thanks to Steve Johnson, a man of many hats, pilot, COO of Indiana Donor Network, just a really all-around good guy, and and for his innovative approaches uh, that are actually helping the rest of us in the industry to overcome one of the biggest challenges, and that's travel.
3: Mm -hmm. And it was really nice to hear that his thoughts were about donor families and the potential recipients, that he did place a great deal of emphasis on this was part of why he's doing what he does.
0: And he could have flown to the moon by now <laughs> four right? times i know since 2014 yeah. all those uh, miles racked up so um, just a neat guest um, a neat program and we appreciate him taking the time uh, maybe you heard something that inspired you to register to become an organ tissue and eye donor you can do that at registerme.org um, and you're part of our team guys and we hope that you go out and do something that you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen mm. thank you <laughs> This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.